Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're beginning your week in God's Word as we celebrate another brand new year. Uh, Well, 2023 is past. It's in the history books now. And as we begin a new year, our church is going with the theme, 2024 is our year of peace, our year of shalom. Uh, Now, you may think about where our world is today, and you say, man, that is a crazy theme to have. Uh, We have a couple of major conflicts going on. Uh, There's several skirmishes going on. How in the world are we going to experience peace in 2024? Well, I want you to know that the peace that the Bible talks about uh, really is not a peace that the world gives. It's not based upon our circumstances, but it's based on who lives within us. And so as we begin another new year, I wanted to spend this broadcast and tomorrow's broadcast looking at one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 90. Uh, You know, as I think about a new year, every year they make predictions about what the new year is going to be like. I remember about 10 years ago, they made this prediction, a company made this prediction, and apparently they were producers of computer screens and television screens. And they said that in 2015, uh, it was going to be the year of flexible TV screens. And I remember hearing that, and I said, wow, uh, we're all going to be walking around with flexible TV screens and flexible uh, laptops and all that. But I want to ask you a question. Do any of you listening to me today actually have a flexible TV screen? I mean, it was supposed to be all the rage. I guess we couldn't decide whether we wanted flat screens or curved screens. And so we thought we'd try the flexible screens. Uh, Well, I don't know that that was such a big hit, but I do know that the future is uncertain. So for the upcoming year of 2024, uh, it amazes me that we are still seeing people make predictions. Uh, Now, some of these predictions are going to happen, and some are not. For example, as I was looking at predictions for this year, in the realm of politics, AI is going to take center stage during the 2024 U.S. election campaign. Now, as you think about this, they say, Uh, there's an 80% likelihood that you are going to receive an AI-drafted fundraising email this political season. Uh, So uh, as you think about this, they're also predicting there's going to be at least one presidential debate before we have our election in November of this year. Uh, Hopefully we have more than one, but they are predicting that we'll have at least one presidential campaign debate. What about the economy? A lot of predictions have been made about the economy. I want you to know that they're expecting inflation to continue to rise, and they're expecting interest rates in this new year also to rise. So, unfortunately, if you are looking to buy a house in 2024, uh, you're going to probably pay more for it than you did in 2023, and the interest rate is probably going to be higher. Uh, They said there's a 70% likelihood that those two predictions will take place, higher rate of inflation and a higher rate of interest rates. Well, what about technology? I thought this was pretty interesting. The United States in 2024 is planning to send astronauts back to the moon. This time, NASA is aiming not only to send the astronauts back to the moon in 2024, but this time, there's going to be a woman that's going to be on the moon. A likelihood of that happening is about 60% chance, and some say it may be 2025 before that actually happens. Culturally, they say that the United States, Japan, India, and China are all hoping to host in 2024 the first ever Formula E race. 
Now, now this would be the world's first motorsport for electric vehicles. And they said the likelihood of that happening in 2024, it's got about an 80% chance. Now, AI in the new year uh, will be a great challenge, and it will pose a lot of interesting changes in our lives. As a matter of fact, when I Googled in the question, what will be the biggest change we see in 2024, AI responded. This is what AI responded. It says, I'm sorry, but I cannot predict the future. However, I can provide you with some information about the societal changes that are being discussed for 2024. According to an article by Motley Fool, uh, there are several major changes that are going to take place to Social Security. Two major changes are going to happen with Social Security. Uh, One is right now, uh, if they don't make any changes, at the end of 2024, Social Security will be insolvent. Uh, But don't worry, uh, they're going to make some changes and you're going to get an increase in your benefits And they're also going to have some proposals to help prevent the program from going insolvent. In addition, as we look at the trends of the future, they said that Quantum Run has made 419 predictions for 2024. Now, as we look at these predictions, they say there's going to be a lot of disruptions in our lives in the new year. Uh, technology is going to disrupt our lives in science and health, and even in the business sector. We are going to experience a lot of turbulence in 2024. Now, as you look at this, AI did acknowledge that it's important to note that these are just predictions, and they may not necessarily come true. I guess we'll have to wait to see uh, what the future holds. Well, in this time of uncertainty, I'm so glad there are some things that we can count on. Uh, One of the major things that we can count on is the Word of God. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but the Word of God endures forever. Isn't that some wonderful news? To know that God's unchangeable Word is going to be with us throughout this new year. Well, today and tomorrow, I'd like to look at one of my favorite psalms. This is a psalm, Psalm 90. And uh, it's a psalm that I used decades ago uh, when I gave my very first funeral. I didn't know what to do in a funeral and how to conduct a funeral. And so I looked at Psalm 90, and a pastor who was mentoring me at that time says, why don't you just pick a few of the verses out of Psalm 90 and make a few notes on those verses and use that as a sermon for the funeral that you're going to do. So I did. And it's amazing that that was over 35 years ago uh, that that happened. But Psalm 90 throughout the years has been such a blessing to me. Let me give you a little background on Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is actually a prayer, and it's a prayer of Moses. Now, if you look at your Bible in Psalm 90, the heading will say, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. But there's something else you got to know about Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is also the oldest psalm in the Bible. Of the 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms, Psalm 90 is the oldest. Moses, we know, is the author, and it's the only Psalm that we know for sure that Moses wrote. Now, as we look at Moses' life, as he's writing this Psalm, as is most of the cases when God gives his word to his people, there are some major events that had occurred in the life of Moses. So, as he's penning this prayer, In Psalm 90, 
Uh, he's reflecting on what he has just experienced. Uh, most commentators would say that Moses wrote this prayer right after experiencing what he experienced in Numbers chapter 20. Uh, now, in Numbers chapter 20, there are four major events that happened in the life of Moses. Let me give them to you quickly, because this will help you to understand, as Moses is pouring out his heart in Psalm 90, what is happening in his life. You know, context is always king. Whenever you read any piece of literature, but especially the Bible, you should know the context of the passage that you are reading. Because if you don't know the context, uh, somebody says you're going to come up with a pretext. And that's where all of our false doctrine comes from. That's where all of your cults and your schisms come from, is you have somebody will take a portion of Scripture, take it out of context, and develop a whole doctrinal statement from a verse that is taken out of context, or a verse that is only partially used. So in order to understand Psalm 90, we've got to understand the context of what Moses was experiencing when he wrote this wonderful chapter. Well, first of all, we learn in verse number one, that Miriam, his sister, died. It says, in the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There, Miriam died and was buried. And now, Miriam was the older sister of Moses. And if you remember the book of Exodus, when Moses was put in that ark, and he was sent down the river, the Nile River, it was Miriam who followed that ark. And when Potiphar's wife saw that ark, she went and rescued Moses out of the Nile. And as she's there trying to figure out what to do with Moses, Miriam says, I just happen to know somebody who can help nurse and take care of this baby for you. And so Miriam runs back to her mom, and her mom gets paid to nurse and care for Moses. Well, Miriam was an amazing woman on one hand. Uh, she did cause Moses a little bit of strife from time to time. But the Bible says that Miriam was a prophetess. Miriam was one of those people that Moses loved dearly, his older sister who protected him and cared for him. Well, we learn that Moses has just lost his sister, Miriam. And we also learn that something else happens in Numbers chapter 20. Moses is uh, going before the people, and the people are complaining. And what are they complaining about now? Well, they're complaining that they have no water. Uh, this isn't the first time that they complained about this. It seems like the nation of Israel was always complaining about something. And so Moses and Aaron, they went and they met with God and they went into the tabernacle. And Moses is given instructions from God and it says, now listen, Moses, I'm going to provide water for the people. What you got to do is you got to take your staff, remove this staff, and go out and, um, and speak to the rock. And as you speak to that rock, water is going to gush out. In the past, Moses struck the rock, but in this occasion, Moses is giving very specific instructions to speak to the rock, and the water would come forth. Well, somewhere between Moses receiving that instruction from God and going out to that rock with his brother Aaron, I think what had happened is he ran into the, some of the people of Israel, and they started complaining, and they uh, started to give Moses a hard time. You know, my heart really goes out to Moses. I can't imagine what it would be like to lead two million angry people, two million complaining people, and they started complaining to Moses about not having any water, and they went on and on and on. They nagged and nagged and nagged and nagged. 
Uh, You ever heard the expression, some people could nag a dog off a meat wagon? Well, that's probably how Moses felt. He was being nagged to death. And what does he do? Unfortunately, he loses his patience with God's people. And what he does is he strikes the rock. And God does provide the water. I mean, God wasn't going to allow his people to die of thirst just because Moses was not completely obedient. But there was a punishment that Moses was going to have to experience because he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And God says, because Moses, you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of all the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I gave them. Now, can you imagine? You have spent 40 years leading God's people. And now, because you have lost your temper, you are prohibited from going into the promised land. Well, that's not all that happened to Moses in Numbers chapter 20. Not only did he lose his sister, not only was he told he could not go into the promised land, but he also runs into an enemy who refuses to let the Israelites pass through his country. This is Numbers chapter 20, verse number 18. Moses sent a message to the king of Edom and says, hey, um, we would like to just pass through a portion of your territory. Can we have permission? And as we go through this territory, uh, would you allow us just to go through and, and, uh, and if we take any water, if we uh, take anything from the land, we will repay you. We just want to pass through on foot. Nothing else. And the king of Edom said, uh, no way, Moses, you're not passing through our territory. Well, Moses waited a little bit longer and, and sent another group of messengers and said, Hey, hey, listen, would it be a problem if we just passed through? And we're not trying to stir up any trouble with you. Uh, We just want to pass through so that we can get closer to the promised land. Well, once again, the king of Edom said, Nope, uh, you're not going to be able to cut through the land of Edom. Well, so Moses has to lead the people a long way out of their way just because they couldn't cut through the land of Edom. And Moses didn't want to lead his people to war. So you can see how Moses is feeling. He's lost his sister. He's lost the opportunity to go into the promised land. And now his enemy won't even allow him to go through a corner of that country of Eden. Well, that's not the end of the story. There's one final thing that Moses experienced as a loss in Numbers chapter 20. His brother, Aaron, dies. In Numbers chapter 20, 27, uh, Moses did what the Lord had commanded, and inside of all of the uh, whole people, and we discover that Moses removed Aaron's garments and put them on, on Aaron's son, Eliezer, and it says, and then Aaron died uh, right there on top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eliezer came down from the mountain, and when the whole community learned that Aaron had died, all the Israelites mourned for him for 30 days. So that's the backdrop that Moses is experiencing as he pours his heart out to God in a prayer that we know as Psalm 90. Let me read the text to you. And then after we read the text, I'm going to give you four takeaways uh, that I think will really bless you as we look at this brand new year that we're experiencing. Psalm 90, beginning at verse number one. Lord, 
you have been our dwelling place. Throughout all generations, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turned people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in a night. A watch in a night is three to four hours. Generally, there's two watches in a night. And so Moses here is saying, a thousand years in your sight, O God, is just like three or four hours in a night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. Verse number seven, we are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass away and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us, O Lord, to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. What a mighty prayer Moses cries out to the Lord. I think as we look at this prayer, the first takeaway is that God is big. Magnify him. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 just again to remind us of the majesty of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Moses is not just looking at his generation. He's saying, God, you have been our dwelling place. God's people have been experiencing the dwelling place of God for all generations. He says, even before the mountains were created, even before the whole earth was created, God was our dwelling place. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. What is Moses driving home here? Moses is driving home the point that God was going to have his people, the nation of Israel, even before he created humanity. The nation of Israel wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't something that God thought of after the fall of humanity. It was something he thought of before he created all things. Now, as we think about God being big, let's magnify him. Now, by saying that, I'm not saying that we can make God any bigger or any smaller than he really is. When we magnify something, we're not changing the size of it. We are changing our perception of it. You know, there are some things that are too small to see with the naked eye. For example, bacteria. Individual bacteria cells are typically too small to be seen with the naked eye. Then how do we get to see them? We get a microscope. 
The microscope doesn't make the bacteria any bigger, but it magnifies it. It makes it appear to be bigger so that we can see it. There are so many things in life that we cannot see with the naked eye. Viruses. You know, viruses are even smaller than bacteria, and they require a powerful microscope so that we can visualize it and see it. What about dust mites? These are microscopic little dust mites, and they're invisible to the naked eye. Oh, if enough of them get together, you can see dust, but one dust mite by itself, you can't detect it with the naked eye. Even pollen grains. Grains of pollen from flowers are so minuscule, they require magnification to see. Oh, you get enough pollen grains together, and it will coat your car in the springtime, but you have one of them, you don't see it. As a matter of fact, if you are a person that suffers with allergies, even before you can see the pollen, you can feel its effects as you ingest those pollen grains into your nostrils. They will cause your eyes to start watering and itching. Why? Because although you can't see those grains, they are here. There's also some things that are too far away for us to see. You think about the sun. The sun is not the biggest or the brightest star. It is the star that is our sun that the earth rotates around. But you ever wonder how long it would take to get to the sun if you were driving a car? Well, we know how far the sun is away from us, but if our car could travel a constant speed of, let's say, 100 miles an hour, and you could drive that car for 24 hours without stopping, without rest, how long would it take you to drive to the sun? Well, it would take more than 106 years. Why? Because the sun is 93 million miles from the earth. Even at traveling the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second, it takes light that is emitted from the sun to get to the earth. It takes 8 minutes and 20 seconds for us to receive that light. When we think about the greatness of the sun, there are many stars and And there are many uh, constellations that are much bigger than the Milky Way and much bigger than our star. There is one particular whole galaxy that we have recently discovered. It is a constellation that is 11,000 light years away from the Earth. We're able to discover this through the Webb telescope. It was discovered on October 27, 2015. Now, I want you to know that that constellation didn't just obviously appear in 2015. Oh, we finally saw it because of the aid of the Webb telescope, but it wasn't a new constellation. It has been there for who knows how long. It has probably been there since creation. Why did we never see it before? Because we didn't have the capacity with the technology that we had up to that point to see that constellation. The only thing that telescope did was made that constellation visible to us. So when we think about the greatness of God, Paul says, In Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. So our first point is that we must magnify Him. God is big. Let's magnify Him. How do we best magnify him? In our times of trouble, in our times of setback. That's where we bring glory to him. That's where we magnify his presence in our lives. So the motto for point number one, 
given to us by Corey Ten Boone, never be afraid to trust the unknown future to a known God. We don't know exactly what's going to happen in this new year, but I want you to know God is not going to abandon us. So let's magnify him. Let's allow him to speak through us. And join me tomorrow for the second part of this message as we look at Psalm 90. Now, in the closing minute of the broadcast, if you are interested in finding a wonderful employment opportunity, we would love to talk to you. At Hickory Ridge Academy, we have openings for teachers and teaching assistants, openings in our before and after care, openings in our early learning center. If you are interested in working in an amazing environment, influencing the next generation of young people, uh, would you give me a call or shoot me a text message at 252-267-2365. If you're interested in enrolling your son or daughter, if you live out in the southern part of Chesapeake, Boy, we love to talk to you, and uh, we uh, provide uh, transportation to our friends that live down in Moyoc, North Carolina, and uh, half our church lives in Moyoc, North Carolina. Uh, so if you're interested in that, enrolling your children, shoot me a text, 252-267-2365, and I'll get you in touch with the right people. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.